0: Amen. Thanks, guys. Um, welcome, everybody. My name is Tom, and I'm the, the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And um, everybody needs to excuse me for a second. Baby, happy Mother's Day. I, she was asleep when I left, and I totally forgot to say it before I left. So I just wanted to make sure that that was that was taken care of. <clears throat> um, so we are um, we're wrapping up a teaching series. We've been in a teaching series on the Old Testament since September, Um, a really, really long time we've been working through this. And we've been looking at the Old Testament through the lens of of specific characters. So I want to start by sharing with you guys a little something. A few weeks ago, um, Gail and I had the opportunity to go into Manhattan and see Hamilton. Gail is a huge Hamilton fan, and I have become a Hamilton fan in the process of Gail being a Hamilton fan. Um, and I just, I, I found it really interesting um, the way they portrayed King George III, the king of England who was king at the time of the American, American Revolution. Um, he, they portrayed him, and he was one of my favorite characters in the show, as an estranged abusive, um, jilted lover. And like the colonists were like the the other part of that, that relationship. And it comes out in this song that he sings called You'll Be Back. And the refrain is, um, when push comes to shove, I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. In chorus two, when push comes to shove, I will kill your friends and family to remind you of my love. So... <clears throat> It got me to thinking about when I hear the word king, it conjures up a couple of different images. One, Burger King, right? Um, and the other one is just not good human leaders, right? So there's King George III, obviously hyperbolic depiction in the, the show Hamilton. Um, but then you think of like Henry VIII, and historians and authors write about him being like this grotesque man-child whose policy was nothing more than self-gratification. Right? So is there, um, is there such a thing as a good human king? And that's what we're going we're gonna to look at today as we're working our way through the Old Testament, ending up this, this teaching series, um, Broken People, Unbreakable Grace. We're going to look at two kings from the actual book of Kings, and then we're going to look at a third king who lets us know that there is indeed actually hope in the idea of a word, the word king. But the, we take a look at these, um, the, the human kings that are presented, and they fall short just like all the other people that we've looked at. The people that God chose in the Old Testament to be his image bearers, to be his representatives, to co-rule with him, dropped the ball in a variety of ways, right? They, they, were, they were tempted. They, they lied, they wanted the gifts that God had, but didn't necessarily want God himself. They were corrupt, they were violent, they were idolatrous. I mean, that list could literally go on for a very long time. Um, but the, the point of today, is the point of the whole series is this, is that um, regardless of... Joe, could you get me to that slide, please? The first big idea. Thank you. Um, regardless of the, the brokenness, whether it's brokenness, our brokenness, brokenness inflicted upon us, God's grace and loving kindness are greater. God's grace and loving kindness are greater than whatever that level of brokenness that we experience. So as we, um, as we think about this, where we're at in the Old Testament, we finished Judges, right? We talked about Deborah, and look at that part of history... Um, the Jewish society just continues to spiral downward. And the, it, the book of Judges ends in maybe the most disturbing chapter in, in the whole Bible. And then we come into Kings. And the prophet Samuel is doing the best he can to remind the people of Israel of who God is and how good he is and what he has for them and what he expects of them. But he's getting older, and so his, his sons kind of take over for him. And his sons are no Samuel. They are corrupt and they are unjust. So the people go to Samuel and they ask Samuel for a king, which annoys Samuel to Noah and they're like, he's thinking you have the God of the universe as your leader and you're asking me for a, for a king. Samuel takes the request of the Lord and um, the, the Lord says, well they can have a king but it's not going to be pretty. A human king will take from them. The human king will take their property, take their finances, take their resources, take their children, take their freedom. A human king will take everything from them. So tell them that, and let's see what they have to say. Joe, could you put up that first slide from Samuel? Um, this is from First Samuel chapter 8. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with the king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. The rationale was really interesting, right? That they wanted to be like the other nations. God wanted them to be different than the other nations. He wanted them to be separate. He wanted them to be his messengers. So God says, let them have a king. So the, the history, the time of the kings is covered in the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, the Old Testament books, First and Second Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and Second Chronicles. And I'm going to do a little bit of storytelling for you uh, with the help of a timeline. The timeline is an eye chart, but just pay attention to the colors. That's the, that's the most important part, and I will kind of try to keep things, keep things moving along with that. So God gives them a king, and it starts right over here with the United Kingdom, all 12 tribes of Israel under the rulership of the first king is Saul, and then King David, and then David's son, Solomon. Each of those kings have like these, these great starts. They have these meteoric rises to success, and then the bottom kind of falls out, and they make one, if not multiple, serious, serious blunders they sin against God. They sin against other people. Um, and it gets to the point where when Solomon passes away, his son Rehoboam takes over. His son Rehoboam is a jerk. And because of his level of jerkiness, the kingdom splits. It splits into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Northern kingdom is 10 tribes. The southern kingdom is two tribes. Joe, um, if you could go, yep, so there's a divided kingdom, and then go one more. Right, so here's the here's the northern kingdom. These are all the kings of the northern kingdom. <clears throat> There's roughly 20 kings over this four or five hundred year period in the north, 20 kings in the in the south. The north goes oh for 20. They don't have a good, they don't have a good king in that in that time period. Go next slide, Joe. The South, they go about eight for twenty. Eight of their twenty or so kings are they do a good job. They do right in the eyes of the Lord. A couple other things I want you to point out. I want to point out to you that are important about this time frame. With the kings came the prophets. These were God's messengers. And most of the time, they were correcting the people. They were correcting the kings. They were redirecting. They were warning. Joe, you go to the next one. So these guys in here are the prophets. People like names you might recognize. Elisha, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, Malachi, all those, all those folks in the middle, were the prophets. Who remember we talked about in the book of Judges, or in Joshua as well, that God's judgment never comes without warning. Right? God doesn't have an anger management problem. He's not fickle. He's not capricious. He warns his people over and over and over again, and the the prophets are like really detail oriented and graphic in the warnings that they give to the people of Israel. It's like God wants you guys. He wants you to want him. And he has what's best in store for you. And if you choose otherwise, he's going to let you go that way. But it's not going to be pretty. And the result of it not being pretty, Joe, next one, is these are the nations that conquer and take into exile the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. Northern kingdom was 0 for 20, right? So they fall first. This is The the timeline works from left to right left to right. The Assyrians take over the northern kingdom, and they take them into captivity. And then the Babylonians, that's the next, the kind of the that pinkish, bluish, I don't know what that is. Um, <clears throat> the Babylonians take over the Assyrians, and then they take over the southern kingdom as well. They t- actually take the people out of Jerusalem, take them to, away from their home. They take them into exile, which is what God told them would happen. The Persians, the orange block there, take over the Babylonians. And if the chart were to keep going, we would see the Greeks come in, take over from the Persians. The Romans come in, take over from the Greeks. And that gets us up to like the time of Jesus. But God warned his people over and over and over again that these other nations would come in and take them over and not treat them well over and over and over. All right, Joe, next slide. So we're gonna start, we're gonna talk about two kings. The first one is Manasseh. Both of them are southern kings and they come towards the end of the time of the kings before they fall to the, to the Babylonians. And Manasseh is arguably um, the worst. Like there are bad kings and the, for, to, for it to be said that you were the worst of this bunch is like, that's, that's saying something. Um, Jer- the prophet Jeremiah pretty much holds um, Manasseh responsible, like the straw that broke the camel's back, for the people of the southern kingdom being taken into captivity. I think it's like Jeremiah 15, where he references Manasseh and the, the things that he did and the result of his sins. Let's put up that scripture from um, the next slide, Joe. I think it's a scripture slide. There we go. So, right, we said the prophets are always there to deliver God's warnings, to try to help the kings and the people track with him. So God is speaking through his prophets to Manasseh. Go back. Uh, Yep. Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins. He has done more evil than the Amorites who preceded him and has led Judah into sin with his idols. Okay. So exactly what did Manasseh do? It says sin with his idols. Manasseh built idols to other gods in the temple of the Lord. So he would worship these idols of these false gods of the countries around them, of the people around them, and he led his people to do the same thing. Part of his worship to these false gods was sacrificing children. He sacrificed his own children to these, to these false gods. Um, he made alliances with foreign kings, which he broke. We'll talk about that in a second. And he, in order to gain more wisdom and more power, he, he practiced occult practices, divination, and he was seeking to gain power and insight that wasn't his to have, that didn't come from the Lord. Um, so our friend Manny screwed up big time, right? That's what I call me and Manny. We're, you know, um, He screwed up big time. And let's, let's read the scripture, see what happens to him. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose. That's the part that tells you he broke the alliances with the other kings. That was like a symbolic gesture. They put a hook in his nose, and it's like this is what happens to people who break alliances with us. <clears throat> put a, a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. In his distress, that's Manasseh, in his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord, his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. And then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. This could be one of the most hopeful passages in all of Scripture, Right? If somebody as far gone as Manasseh can humbly repent, can truly come before God, confess their brokenness, and God will receive him back. Right? This, I'm not saying that we are as bad as Manasseh. I'm saying that we're all in different places, right? But God's grace is that big. It is that unbreakable that when we turn to him and we humbly repent, that he will, he will gladly take us back so Manasseh passes away and his son I don't know if it's Amon or Amon um, rules for two years and he didn't learn anything from dear old dad he screwed up in exactly the same ways so much so that he ended up being assassinated by his own guys prince named a king named Josiah takes over and Josiah scholars tell us scripture tells us is the best of the best can we put up that scripture about Josiah He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Specifically, he did a couple of things, right? He brought about what we would call religious reform. He tried to help steer the people back towards God, back towards the promises that um, God had made to their ancestors and to focus on God as the center of everything. Right, We've been putting up that Exodus 34, 6 and 7 passage about who God is, the Deuteronomy 6 passage about, um, how, about keeping God in the center and talking about him with our children. So Josiah was trying to help move his people in that direction through reform. He also started the work of repairing the temple, took the idols that Manasseh had built out of the, of the sanctuary, and as they were repairing it, they found a book. This tells you how bad things were before Josiah got there. They lost the Bible, y'all. They, lo- like, they don't know if it was the, all the first five books or if it was just Deuteronomy or if it was just sections of Deuteronomy, but they lost the book. And uh, Josiah is kind of overwhelmed at this. And instead of waiting for the prophets to come to him, he sends his people, he says, go to Huldah. She was a prophet at that time and ask her what, what we're supposed to do. And she tells them, like, this is not gonna be good for the people of Israel because they keep going down this road. Right? She warns them of their their repeated behavior. But at the same time, they get back into the book, right? Josiah leads his people. God is not just about individuals, He's about a people for Himself. Josiah leads his people to repentance, and they open up the book. And they go back to talking about the word of the Lord and, and tying it around their arms and around their foreheads and teaching it, to their, teaching it to their children. And they celebrate the Passover, one of the highest days of the, of the Jewish year, like it had never been celebrated before, all because of, of Josiah's desire to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So what's really interesting is that at the end of Josiah's life, He fights a battle, and scholars can't really tell us why he felt like he needed to fight this battle, because in the text, in the scripture, it tells us that Pharaoh, who was the opposing force in this battle, said, Josiah, I have no beef with you. I don't know why you're coming out against me, but in that battle, Josiah ended up dying as a result of wounds from that battle. So despite all of his reforms and everything that he did, he still fell to the hands. He fell, died an unceremonial death at the hands of the kings of the earth. So we have, we have these two kings. We have one who did evil and then sought repentance and one who did right in the eyes of the Lord. But his righteousness wasn't enough because less than 25 years later, the people had gone right back to their old ways and had was, grieved God's heart so much that God allowed the Babylonians to come in and take them captive and to take them out of Jerusalem. And the temple was destroyed and they brought them to Babylon for 70 years. Um, so we have these two kings. And does that mean um, that there is, is no hope for a good king? Is that what, is that what we're, we're left with? That would be, um, that's kind of, so you have this time in the kings, right? And then you have what's called the intertestamental period where there's like a couple hundred year gap where God is silent. And that was kind of like, that would be a sad way for that story to end. The people far from God, the people not hearing from God. And that's where it ends. But fortunately, Fortunately, that is not where it ends. There is a king right, who is perfect and without flaw. There is a king who is timeless and eternal. There is a king who fulfills all the promises that were made to um, Abraham and to Moses and to Samuel and to David. There is a king who, who doesn't need a prophet to reveal God's truth to him because he is the truth. There's a king who doesn't need a judge to lead him into battle because he conquered the last enemy. There's a king who doesn't need a priest to mediate between himself and God. You see, all these other people that we've been talking about for the last nine months in the Old Testament, they all show us this little glimpse of the solution that God has to humanity's problem. And in Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we find the solution in total. The solution is God himself. Just throughout the Old Testament, God's unbreakable grace is what brought people through, is what did the heavy lifting, is what saved people, is what brought families back together, is what created a nation out of which the king of kings came. So it would be super easy to kind of sit back and moralize on the story of these two kings, of Manasseh and Josiah, right? Don't lose the Bible. Don't sacrifice your children, right? Don't, don't build idols to other gods in my house. It'd be really, really easy to do that. But rather than do that, I think it's more important that we dwell upon who Jesus is and this idea that he is the king of kings. You see, that title, king of kings, was, was first used of people like Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes was king of Persia, and being king of Persia meant that they had conquered lots of other kingdoms. So the first time, I think it's the first time that we see that phrase in scripture, it's referring to him because he had conquered, he was a king that had conquered other kingdoms. I love how the how the Bible how God will use um, the things of people who worked against Him, who are hostile towards Him, hostile towards His people, and take them back. Right, that term "King of Kings" was used for people who um, ruled, domineered God's people, and now it's the title that gets bestowed upon Jesus. Right, even in we think about like the Christmas story and the angelic announcement the language that's used in that story is the same language that would have been used to announce the arrival of the emperor of Rome. Right? Repeatedly, we see that happen in scripture, that, that things of, of, that were meant to go against God, God takes them back and says, nah, I got it, that one's mine. Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords. Biblically, that title, King of Kings, the Wearsby Study Bible says that it could be his most important title, because it means he is the victorious one over every power, over every authority. He is the victorious one. He is completely sovereign. That one day every knee must bow, and every knee. It doesn't matter what throne they sit upon or what power they wield. We think back to ancient times and whether it was the Egyptians' pharaoh or the Canaanite kings or the Assyrian kings, or the Babylonian kings, or the Persians, the Greek, the Romans, we think back to ancient times and the false gods of the ancient times, gods that we've talked about, like um, the Baals, and Molech, and the Ashtoreths, and Zeus, and Artemis. All of them will bow to the king of kings. right? The, The powers of today, the United States, Russia, China, the leaders, the flawed leaders of those nations will bow to the king of kings the false gods that we bow down before, the gods of of pride and lust and greed and self-sufficiency and comfort, Jesus will defeat them as well. The King of kings and Lord of lords invites us to be with him, to follow him. He wants that for you because that's what you were created for. There was an invitation that was extended to the people of Israel in the book of, of Deuteronomy, and we hear the first glimpse of the beginnings of King of King and Lords of Lord in that. I want to read It's a little bit longer. It's like 10 verses. Um, I'm going to shut this light off so I can read the text off the back of the room. <coughs> there, that's much better. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but the fear of the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good? To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is a God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing and you are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. This invitation that was extended to the people of Israel is the same invitation that the King of kings and Lord of lords extends to us today. To worship him as the king of the highest heavens. To live with him and for him and like him. Right when we, when we walk in relationship with the king of kings, the fatherless and the widows and the foreigners and anybody who is pushed to the margins should be the people that, that makes our heart pump and we want to do something about Because of the God that lives inside of us. So we all have a choice to make. We can serve the kings and gods of this world who promise us everything and leave us with nothing. Or we can serve the king of kings and lord of lords who makes everything work out in accordance with his plan. Who meets us where we are, loves us unconditionally, who at the end of all things will win the final battle. And when he wins that battle, all the battles that have been lost will be redeemed, and he will make all things new. Joe, you put that last slide up. Because regardless of the brokenness, God's grace and loving kindness are greater. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords and we do bow before you. God, we humbly come before you and we confess our need of you. God, our own individual brokenness. God, we entrust you with the brokenness that has been afflicted, inflicted upon us by others. We thank you that you are victorious and one day you will be victorious and win that final battle and set everything right, and make everything new. Jesus, we long for that day to be with you, to celebrate with you, to worship you. God, we ask that you would um, accept our worship now as an offering, and we thank you that your scripture tells us that you inhabit the praises of your people. So God, would you make us aware of your presence here this morning? Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you. Amen.